0: morning. It is a delight to be with you, and we are uh, in a message today. It's a very difficult message. If there's ever a time that I've needed to be hidden so that we can hear Jesus and, and see Jesus, it's this message. And so I want to read our text and, and pray as we get started today. This is Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it is your heart that none of us are cut off, that all of us experience only your kindness. The Lord, to make sure that that is true, we must behold you as you are. We must behold you both in your kindness and in your severity. And I'm praying, God, that you would help us today do something very difficult. I pray that you would wash our minds and wash our hearts with your truth. God, we love you. Please, God, let your word run swiftly and do its work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message is Your First Day in Eternity this is a standalone message next week we're going to start in first Peter a whole series called precious faith this is a standalone message it happened while I was on sabbatical I was at a cabin uh, that somebody graciously lent to me for a week and I had been studying revival studying past revivals and I, I I noticed that it was all about eternity coming into time and becoming very very, real both heaven and hell becoming very real to people and i was in a prayer time thinking about this and and i felt an invitation from the holy spirit to visit hell to cast myself in the role of somebody that goes to hell. And to allow myself to think those thoughts that that person would have. To allow myself to feel those feelings. And to allow that the despair of hell to wash over me. I had just finished self-publishing a book called The Puzzle of the End Times and I'm speaking on that tonight at 6 o'clock and, and it it gives God's kindness to those who are ready for Christ's coming and, and that there is a rapture coming. The bridegroom is going to take his bride home. But also in that message is the severity of judgment that comes after that where God pours out the, the bowl and the trumpet judgment. So, so I had just written this book. I've been thinking about this. And, um, but the trumpet and bowl judgments are nothing compared to hell. The trumpet and bowl judgments are actually still redemptive. They're still God calling out to people that are listening to nothing else and saying, repent, come home. But there's something about the finality of hell that is terrifying. So I'm inviting us to be brave today. And we're going to we're we're going to talk about heaven and we're going to talk about hell. But point 1 is this. Beholding God as he is. As we behold what he does, In his kindness and his severity, as we behold the things that he does, the acts that he does, they trace back, if you follow back those acts, to who he is. When Moses wanted to see... The glory of God. And he said, Father, he said, God, "God, if I found favor with you, do this one thing for me. Show me your glory. And God spoke back to him and said, I'm going to have to hide you in the cleft of the rock. But then I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. God's own definition of his glory is his goodness. God is good. All the time. And he's good in every way. He's good in his kindness. And he's good in his severity. First John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. God is all good. 100% good. Here's our problem. We know human beings. And so when we think about human beings, sometimes we say something like this. Oh, yeah, he's really, really nice. Most of the time. But, but he's got a dark side. Yeah, she is, she can be so sweet. But you don't want to see her when she's mad. Isn't that how we sometimes describe people? The Bible says this in James chapter 1, that the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. That when human beings do things in anger, they, are often, they often sin in their anger. They say things they shouldn't say. They hold grudges. They do things they shouldn't do. And destruction comes because of mankind's anger, which is why we need to take our anger and process it at the cross and give it to Jesus. But God's anger does work the righteousness of God. God's anger is perfect. It only does justice and righteousness. There's no dark side to God. He is a loving Father. He is a holy judge. Both are completely good. Beholding God as He is. To choose only to behold His kindness will lead us to a presumption that tries to tame God. I'm reading from the book of Job, verse 41, 5 and 10. He is describing uh, a beast at that time called Leviathan that has gone extinct, but it was certainly familiar to Job. And here's what he says about, about it. He says, Can you make a pet of it like a bird? Or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? everything under heaven belongs to me. God says there's this wild creature that you can't put a leash on. You can't make it your pet. And what he's saying is this. Stop putting a leash on me. Stop trying to tame me. Stop trying to reduce me to something that you find as being safe. As, of course, in C.S. Lewis's Favorite words uh, uh, quoted about Jesus. Oh, he's good, but he's not safe. I I get it. I get why it's pleasant to behold only his kindness. But if that's all we're willing to focus on is his kindness and his acts of kindness, and we shut out his severity we 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 we're, t- we're trying to tame god we're trying to put him in a box and it's going to lead us down a bad way called presumption where the god that we have made isn't god the God that Job's friends had made, that they had tamed, and they said, no, no, Job, this could never happen to you. If you you sinned. You've done something wrong. That's why all this thing has happened, and God isn't like that. God is like this, like this, like this, like this. And they gave their little box, and when, when God appeared to Job, he rebuked Job's friends and said, they have not spoken what's right of me. They've tried to make me something that fits into their little idea of what I should be. And I will not be on any man's leash. I am God. And he writes, talks about this problem, and he says, We have, in American culture, sometimes made God to be that grandpa that's in a rocking chair by the fire. He's wise and harmless. And we picture ourselves sitting with him and he's rocking in his chair and all he's got is encouragement for us and, and some, some wisdom. And, and he, said, he said, here's the problem with that issue. He said, God's not that grandpa rocking in the chair. God's actually more like the fire than he is about <laughs> like that grandpa in the chair. God is God. And we do, we do not want to make him something that he's not, or we'll end up with a box that the real God isn't in. Now, to behold only is his severity is going to leave us distant from God and actually opens us up to idolatry because a God that is so severe cannot comfort us. And so we've got to find comfort in this world. So we're going to find comfort from other things. And God is so holy. God is so distant. God is so severe that he can't help us in our everyday things. Well, be assured of this. Even though God is holy beyond our understanding, he has made a way for us in Christ. To dwell in him and for him to dwell in us, even in our brokenness. He wants to forgive us, cleanse us, comfort us, guide us, and help us 24-7. Whereas sometimes we are the ones that decide we're only going to have God be kind and we're only going to dwell on kindness, we're only going to dwell on heaven, and never think about the severity, and we end up making a box. On this other side, what happens is when we make God only severe and we only behold his severity, we end up getting God in a different box that's made by the accuser. The enemy accuses God, his character, and he accuses us of our character. And when you live under that accusation, you end up with this religious box where God dwells in that you visit once in a while. This is what religion does. I, I need God because I want to go to heaven someday, but I can't live with Him every day. He's too holy; I'm too unholy. He's too severe, so I'll go in and I'll do my thing once a week or twice a week or once a day or however. But you can't—you can't dwell with Him. Even as you—it's very hard to be with someone that you know doesn't like you. Someone that doesn't enjoy you. We've we've all heard about people that yeah that they dread the family thing, but they have to go to it because it's once a year. But there's people there they don't get along with, they don't like, that don't like them, and so they go and endure it. P- people that go to work and they would never choose to 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 have. Fellowship after work with those people, but they have to work with them and so they tolerate them, but they feel it's not where they want to be all the time. They can go there for a while, but they can't stay there. I got news for you. God likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants you and me to be with Him. God is easy to, To live with, he's hard to satisfy, but he's easy to live with. He wants to help us in every step of our journey. Part of why we behold his severity is so that we remember who it is that is walking with us. We behold both his kindness and severity in the cross. The severity of God required Jesus to die on that cross. God could not arbitrarily forgive sin. Jesus had to die. There was no other way. That's how holy God is. That is the severity of God on sin. We see it on the cross. And of course, we also behold His kindness on the cross. God loved us so much that He sent Jesus to, and he loved Jesus so much that he said to Jesus, I'm giving it to you. It's your authority. You can lay it down. You can take it up. You decide. I want you to do it. It's the only way that can be reconciled. But, but no, I'm not going to take your life from it. You have to decide to do this. And we behold the kindness of God and the Father sending the Son and then the Son freely laying his life down because of his love for you and me. The kindness of God so that we could be with him, not just in time, but for all eternity. And we behold his kindness and his severity in heaven and in hell. When I was studying hell a few years ago, I was doing a very, in- I was actually writing a book on hell, and I was reading every book I could find on hell. And I read one by one of my favorite theologians named David Pawson, and He wrote a whole book on hell, and he said what startled him as he studied hell from the New Testament is where Jesus spoke about hell. Jesus did not use hell to threaten those who were against him. Jesus spoke about hell most often to his closest friends to warn them. Warning them of of two things. One, that he, th- that he didn't want them to end up there. That there is a hell to shun. And he doesn't want any of his, his friends to end up in hell. He doesn't want any of us to slip off in presumption and end up shocked, shocked, That we're in hell. He doesn't want any of us to be the guy that he says in Matthew 7 that many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, that won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But Lord, we went to church and we prayed and we did miracles and we prophesied and we had all kinds of stuff in your name. And Jesus is, with tears in his eyes, will say, Depart from me. He doesn't want any of us to end up in hell. But I believe the other reason that he talked about hell is, is that he wanted to know his closest friends, his partners in ministry, what the stakes were. Eternity. Eternity is at stake. Proverbs says that if if hell and death are before the eyes of the Lord, how much more the hearts of men. God sees eternity. Time is just this little breath. So he wants in his church the revelation of his love and also the revelation of his justice. One produces confidence and one produces carefulness. It's very interesting in Isaiah 11, verse 3. Isaiah is prophesying about the sevenfold Holy Spirit that will be resting on Messiah. The spirit of power and the spirit of intimacy and and the spirit of knowledge and the, the spirit of revelation, of an understanding. And the last one he gives is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And then it makes this comment about the Messiah and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Shouldn't his delight be in the amazing understanding and knowledge or in the power? But his delight is in the fear of the Lord. When we, when we understand what the fear of the Lord is, it can become our delight too. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, he says whether I'm in the body or out of the body... My goal is to be pleasing to him, for we're all going to stand before his judgment seat and give an account of what we've done. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. The Paul says, I'm only living for one audience, and it's him. I'm living in view. I know he's watching me. I only need to please him. And, and well, how do you please God? Uh, Guys, God doesn't just look at your actions. He looks at your intention. If you're trying to please God and you're living for Him, He's easy to please. You know who's hard to please? Everybody else. And when you live in the fear of man and, and you've got to please God and you've got to please this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, and you've got to please yourself, it, life becomes very burdensome and hard. But there is a delight when we only have to please that audience of one. And if everybody else is unhappy, I love you, but my identity didn't come from you. My identity is in him. I love you, but I can't live for you. I need to live for him. Proverbs 16, 6 says, by the fear of the Lord, people depart from evil. The right fear of the Lord empowers us to stand against evil, to depart from evil. 2 Timothy, it says, in the last days, people are going to have itching ears. They're going to surround themselves with people that will say what they want to say. And people are going to end up having a form of godliness without the power of godliness. They will look religious and have religious words and you would say from the outside and from hearing what they talk about in the songs they sing that they must be godly people, but they no longer have the power to live a godly life. Friends, I just really feel like we're, we're in that time right now. I think we've lost the fear of the Lord largely in America. The fear of the Lord, the right fear of the Lord, empowers us to depart from evil. And then I love this, Psalm 99 that the fear of the Lord makes us clean. When I thought about this day, I thought about how God in this shutdown in America is using it to realign his people. And so what we're doing, outwardly of course, what we've all learned to do is, you got to wash your hands. And I wash my hands, and Alice says, that's not long enough. It's got to be 20 seconds. You're doing nothing by just doing it. And so it's a discipline, isn't it, to, to wash your hands and stay under that fountain until you're all the way clean. And we're spending a lot of time cleaning outwardly. And I think what the Lord wants to do is, is realign us inwardly. He wants us clean. And so both this morning and this evening on the puzzle of the end times, I believe God's bigger um, goal in this is to clean us with the right fear of the Lord. He wants to pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord that Jesus delighted in. All right. Your first day in eternity. Let's visit heaven first. If you go to heaven, you are on your deathbed in a hospital, on the side of a road, in a vehicle that has crashed, at home, on a hospice bed. Wherever you are, whatever age you are, whether there are people around you or you are all alone, you are on your deathbed. Suddenly, a change occurs. You go from clinging to your life in fear of losing it to being embraced by a tremendous light. There are angels with you and they communicate without speaking. They are here to take you home. At first, when you hear home, you think that they're going to heal you so that you can go home. But as each one of them takes an arm, and starts lifting you through the atmosphere, you realize they were talking about your permanent home. Your arrival on heaven's shore. As you land on heaven's shore, you are overwhelmed by the beauty The earth was only a dim reflection of what is here. The sky is bluer, the grass is greener, everything is alive. As you take this all in, you are overcome by two thoughts. The first one is this. I don't belong here. (laughs) The purity of this place reminds you of how impure the place you came from was. An impurity that you were part of. Surely my presence here will taint the beauty of this place, you say out loud. And the angels don't disagree. They only smile. So that's your first thought. I don't belong here. Here's your second thought. I do belong here. This feels more like home than I've ever felt. In fact, I've never felt at home my whole life until now. I was made for this place. Did you know that in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God says that He has set eternity in our hearts. That even as we are walking through time, and God will make every everything beautiful in its time down here, He is testing the human race, because we can't know, it says in Ecclesiastes, uh, what our end is. We can't see the beginning from the end. We can't see the the, the big puzzle. We don't get to see what, what, what the puzzle looks like. We're experiencing it piece at a time, piece at a time. and But we can't ever fully enjoy anything because there's this eternity that is in our heart. And we were created for eternity, not just time. And so when we get home, we will really be home. Our bodies here will have been seen to be tense, that we were just camping out down here. But the Bible says that we have a permanent body that is going to last for all eternity. The emotions you experience, as you now see what you had only believed for, you feel a tremendous relief whatever sins you committed, you gave your life to Jesus. However up and down your life with Christ was, you and he made it here. All the nagging doubts are gone. And now your faith has been vindicated. And then you're gripped with this great desire To go back and tell everyone you love that heaven is real. You are answered immediately by the thoughts of one of the angels. Your time of witness on earth is done. You are now part of the great cloud of witnesses that is waiting for this part of his story to close. Your battle is over. Now, come into your rest. But, but if they only knew, you object. But the angel is firm. Others will have to tell them now. Those you meet there, as you come up on heaven's shore, beholding the beauty with these angels by your side, A group of people is coming toward you. Beautiful people, yet vaguely familiar. These are relatives and friends and children who have gone before you and are so excited that you are now home with them. The joy you experience is so overwhelming that you begin weeping. You fall to your knees with tears running down your face in worship with your eyes closed. And all of a sudden, someone is wiping away your tears. You open your eyes and look up into the face of your Savior. He is smiling at you, and then you look for yourself. And you can see the holes in his hands that he continues to wear above. And you begin weeping again. Love and worship fill your heart as you cling to his feet. And as you are at his feet, again, you are confronted with those wounds, those holes in his feet that he continues to wear above you simply say, Jesus, you died for me. I love you. He raises you up and communicates without speaking, but with great joy on his countenance. Yes. So that you could be with me forever. And then he says these words aloud. Welcome. Home. Two days after my grandson Will died, this the funeral was on he died on January third. The funeral is on January fifth. This is two days after the funeral. It's January seventh. My children and their spouses had all come down. To be with us, and uh, they were all flying back that afternoon. We were going to drive them to the airport in Guadalajara, and so it's it's the morning we're going to take everybody back, and I'm in the 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 prayer chapel, and w- the pictures of Will are, are still up, and um, my Will's twin brother Jack, uh, my other grandson. Came with me. He's the one that brought me up to the chapel because he wanted to hear me play the tutu. He he calls the guitar the tutu. I have no idea why, but he just would start saying tutu tutu tutu. tutu. So I'm like, I'll play the tutu. Come on, let's go. And so so we got set up in there, and and I'm in this chair. Jack is in this chair, and I'm playing. Uh, we will dance. We will dance on the streets that are golden. Glorious bride and the great Son of Man, and song—it's just a song about heaven, a song about that day and the dancing that's going on. And um, as I'm playing, and 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 Jack is just enjoying this. My daughter Beth comes in, and and uh, she she just sings with us. She sits with us, and she said, "Dad, she said I wrote I wrote a poem about Will. Do you would you like me to read it?" I said, "Beth." I would love to hear that poem. So she goes back to her room, and while she goes back, people start coming in. I say, "Hey guys, Beth's going to come and read a poem that she wrote about Will." And pretty soon, they're telling everybody, and we get we get the whole family gathered in this spontaneous gathering. And Beth comes and reads this poem about Will being in heaven and what he's experiencing there, and. What we're experiencing here is just an absolutely beautiful, poem. And, but we're we're all just there, and there's just this, just this sense of awe there. And I I give the guitar to my son Matt. And uh, M- Matt right now is not in a great place with his faith, but but he's an unbelievable musician, and he loves us and he can play anything. And he used to be a worship leader, so he knows every song. I said, Matt, would you mind, would you just mind playing some some heaven songs? And he goes into a medley of songs. He starts with I'll fly away. We're singing I'll, I'll fly away and we're, people are struggling with verses. Everybody's got their phones and we're just singing, I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. And then he does, may the circle be unbroken. May the circle be unbroken by and by, the by and by. And we've got people doing verses that they're getting off their phones and, and, and it's just... It was like it was heaven on earth. It was like Will was in our midst that he did Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forth to carry me home. Looked over Jordan, what did I see? Coming forth to carry me home. Band of angels coming after me. Coming forth to carry me home. And We're singing verses and we're, we're and it's, Heaven and earth kissed. I will never forget. I don't know. The whole time lasted about an hour. No one had organized it. No one had planned it. It just happened. And we got to experience the presence of where will is now forever. Oh, the kindness and the goodness of God. Last point If you go to hell, you are on your deathbed, clinging to life. You might be alone because of a car crash. You might have family gathered around you because you're in a nursing home or in a hospice bed. But here you are, clinging to life. And suddenly a great darkness overtakes you. The fear that you had of dying is multiplied 100-fold. Two demonic beings take a hold of your arms and begin to drag you downwards. They don't speak. But in your heart, you hear their accusations that they are taking you to your home. As you leave this world, you witness angels that are standing watching this happen with sadness in their eyes. But silence as you cry out to them for a response. You arrive in Hades. And have a series of thoughts. The first is defiance. I shouldn't be here. I'm a good person. I grew up in church. I accepted Christ. This is wrong. The demons only mock your voice, your rage increases. As you explain to really no one why God is unjust and that this should not be happening, and then in the midst of your anger and in the midst of your defiance, a presence fills your cell. It silences your mind and it silences your accusations. Yes, you did accept Christ, but you walked away from him. He was too narrow for you and Christians were too stupid for you. You were smarter and had found many reasons why the Bible wasn't true. You had become an evangelist for godlessness and caused many others to stumble in their faith. Then you don't know how, but what came into your mind, one after another and after another after another, were all of the efforts of the Holy Spirit. Person after person that he had brought. Dream after dream that had warned you. Discipline after discipline that he had brought into your life in perfect love. But you had resisted them all. You sinned against the Holy Spirit's continual efforts to alert you and warn you. And finally, he took no as your final answer. You had trampled under your feet the blood that was shed for you. And you had insulted the spirit of grace that had drawn you. And then you remember a verse. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you shudder Because you're now experiencing it. The emotions you experience. Regret. In your initial regret for misleading so many others, you go to the bars of your prison and scream out, I must go back and warn others. I didn't think this was real. Please let me go back, even if I have to return here. A demon comes before you and mockingly recites a scripture that you knew when you were walking with God. Even if someone is raised from the dead, they won't believe. Then you sink much deeper into regret because of your own choices. You think of Jesus and his love and your initial devotion to him and that all you could have had with him, not just in time, but for all eternity, that you chose to go without. You could have gained heaven, but by your own choice, hell is your destiny. It is just that you are here. The other emotion is hopelessness. You know that this is going to be an eternal, irreversible judgment. From your time being a Christian, you know that where you are right now is not hell. It's Hades. Hades is only a waiting room for the final judgment. After that judgment... of Hades, you will receive your body back for your final judgment and then you will go to a place called the lake of fire or hell where you will be punished for all of your sins against humanity by a time of conscious torment. The sin of rejecting Christ, of turning your back on God will be that you will then perish In the eternal fire, you will be destroyed, body and soul. In the eternal fire, you will be consumed and eventually die a second time in that fire. Those you meet there, no one except the occasional tormenting demons that you only that only accuse you. You know there are others here because you can hear their cries. But you don't see them. Truly, this is the outer darkness. And then you have this thought that what was true of Judas is now true of you it would have been better for him if he hadn't been born. And then, you wake up. <gasps> I'm not in hell. This was just a dream. This was just a warning. There's still time. There is still time for me to repent. There's still time for me to wake up spiritually. There is still time for me to say I'm sorry and to be forgiven. Not just for my sins, but for my attitude. That God has to forgive me. That God has to give me heaven. No one has given anything to God that God has to repay him. Everything God does, he does freely and graciously. I want to pray two prayers as we close this morning. The first, if you are listening to this, whatever age you are, whatever state in your life you are, and you are not sure that heaven is your home that you related to many of the thoughts that that man was having in hell. And you don't ever want to be that person. Today, you want to come to Christ. The Bible says that hell wasn't even made for human beings. It It was made for Satan and his angels. No human being has to go there. Jesus has already died for your sins, but you do need to repent and come to Christ. And so if that's you, I would invite you right now to just open your hands like this. And I'm just going to pray a prayer that I would encourage you to pray after me. Out loud if you want, or to yourself, whichever way. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, it says, will be saved. Jesus, I come to you right now. And I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you died for me on that cross. God, I know I'm a sinner. If I got what I deserve, I would go to hell. But God, you have died. You have died in my place. You have taken my punishment for me so that you could give me this gift of forgiveness and eternal life that includes heaven. And so, Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of my sinful attitudes. And I say, Lord Jesus, I'm opening my door. Come in. Come in. Wash me, save me. I receive, even right now, that gift that you give of eternal life. Holy Spirit, please, I never ever want to resist you again. Come and dwell in me and secure me and seal me and walk with me all of my days. Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that my home is now with you. And that means that one day it'll be in heaven. Here's the second group that I want to pray for. Maybe God has been in a box for you. Maybe you've refused to think of his severity and you've just been living a little presumptuously and just a little flippantly before him, and you you are wanting to get God out of that box. Say, God, I, 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 want, I want both. I, I want both kindness and severity to be revealed to me so that I can walk closer to you. Or maybe you related more to that other box where God has been so severe that you've had to uh, just put him over here. You've been so convinced God doesn't like you and that God doesn't want to be near you and that God doesn't want to help you and, and live with you. That God's kind of lived over here in this really holy place and, and you've had to comfort yourself with other things and, and, and you just kind of visit God once in a while and get it over with. And you want God out of that box. You want to experience his closeness and his kindness and his tenderness and his willingness to dwell with us right now. If either of those are you, would you mind just opening your arms and we're going to pray. Lord, you take us as we are. Amazing. Now, Lord, we want to take you as you are. Would you break any box of presumption? Any, any way we've tried to tame you down and just say, no, no, God's only nice. He's only kind. He only does good things or kind things that God would never judge. God would never do something severe. Lord, we, we don't want to tame you. We break that leash. We break that box and say, you are a holy, just God. There is a heaven and a hell. And we want to live before you as you are. Please, Lord, let my delight be the fear of the Lord, even as it was Jesus. And then, Lord, wash away that other box where we believe accusations against ourselves and accusations against you and make you this severe God that, that no one could be close for very long. And, and, God, we just, we break all of those thoughts, Lord. You have revealed yourself in Jesus to be the kindest, most loving forgiving being in the whole universe you have revealed in jesus through the cross the plan that you want us with you you want to forgive us you want to fill us even now with your spirit thank you for jesus thank you for making a way lord wake me up to your kindness and your goodness Lord, I, I break agreement with every lie that accuses me or that accuses you. I break agreement with those lies because you are kind to be all, beyond all measure. Now, Lord, wash us. We're putting our hand in yours. And, Father, I pray that we would carry your message a world that is before you. Not only are their hearts before you, but their eternity is also before you. Lord, help us be burning witnesses while we can. We are still here. We still have a chance to declare your gospel. Let us make the most of this chance. And may a great harvest come in. Even in our lifetime, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. The worship team is going to come and do one final song. If you would like prayer, I'm going to, I think we're at the time right now that you could click on that. But thank you for being with us today. God bless you.